I'm Justin Noda. And I'm Kyle Green. And you're listening to Mortgages, eh? A show designed to educate industry professionals and satiate the mortgage nerds. Underwriting, investing, getting the deals done while having a few laughs along the way. Morning, bud. Morning, bud. What are we talking about today? Reverse mortgages. Reverse mortgages. Yeah. These are items and topics that always draw a lot of emotion yep. from people. They do. They're hotly contested. I, I almost consider it like, um, like brokering before brokering became mainstream. Yeah. Right? Where people used to go to brokers to get shady deals done. <laughs> to really, you know, drive home that no income, no job, no hope client. Yeah. Um, where the lender almost tries to screw over the client for their own financial gain. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. kind of the world that I was brought into when reverse mortgages kind of had that same, that same coloring yep. to them. But it's changed. I, and I think that in our industry... I think that that's one of those things that um, I found anytime reverse mortgage comes up, the client, there always seems to be some apprehension from the customer's perspective. Yep. And I think that um, the public perception of it is a lot more negative than the actual way that it, the product works. And I know that um, all of the lenders that are offering reverse mortgages have done a good job of trying to address all of this information and, and, and all the myths. So we're definitely going to talk a lot about the myths today. I'm actually really interested to hear more about what conversations you had about some of those myths later, later on the episode. Yeah, definitely. I've touched base with a couple of our um, our friends inside the reverse mortgage industry. And there's a couple providers that do do that. I'm not going to say who or which company because we don't play favorites on the Mortgages A podcast. Unless you want to sponsor us, you know, hit us up. Feel free to sponsor us on the Mortgages <laughs> A podcast. But yes, I, I definitely picked through some, some myths and some exposures that I wanted to make sure that we bring up just because that's going to be how our listeners are able to tell their clients about the common things that they hear. Because, uh, you know, a myth is a myth because a bunch of people know it. Yep. Um, and the only way to dispel it is to get the correct information and the correct knowledge out there. Yep. So let's start with the basic question is, what is a reverse mortgage? Yeah, exactly. Um, so a reverse mortgage is a loan that's secured against the value of your home. It's designed exclusively for homeowners age 55 and better. It provides access to up to 55% of the home's value. Um, the money is tax-free, uh, no impact to government pensions. There's no monthly mortgage payments are required. And that right there is something that I think um, people are going to really focus on, especially in today's mm-hmm. market, today's economy. Yep. Um, and finally, you maintain ownership and control of your home, um, which again is one of the biggest, uh, not missed, but one of the biggest sticking points that people always think about when you're signing up with a reverse mortgage. Yeah, and I think probably the the key concept I try to explain to a customer when I'm talking to them about, about what a reverse mortgage is, is it's, it's called a reverse mortgage because instead of you having a regular mortgage where you're paying down the principal, a reverse mortgage, because there are no payments, means that the principal is increasing over the length of the, of the term. So how is there no payments? How is there no payments? Yeah, so yeah. it's to people who are used to, you know, and brokers out there who have never done a reverse mortgage. Yeah. You set up a mortgage. Yeah. There is a payment. Yeah. Away you go. Exactly. With this, there's no payment. There's no payment. Yeah. And, and that's because it gets capitalized and added to the outstanding principal. So usually when you have a regular mortgage, you're paying interest in principal. And so you're paying down the mortgage. Instead, the interest has to go somewhere. There's If there's no payment being made by the borrower, then the interest has to go somewhere and that gets added to the principal. 
And so it goes into the reverse. You can kind of look at it as a standard amortized mortgage. You have interest and principal payments that the borrower is making. You can have an interest-only mortgage where there's no principal and uh, payments being made, and so the balance always stays the same, and you're just paying the interest. Or you can have a reverse mortgage, which is the other end of the spectrum, which is no payments at all being made by the borrower. The interest has to go somewhere, so it goes on top of the, the principal. And of course, the concern, I think, with reverse mortgages is the whole compounding effect. Of course, now you have a mortgage that's compounding in the opposite direction. Uh, that's why these... Uh, lenders all have a requirement on the age because they want to make sure that that you're not going to live for a hundred more years and <laughs> compound that interest all the way up, right? And that's why you'll find that you can get more money if you're older. You just have a, a shorter life expectancy. And I hate even bringing that up with people that are in that, but it's just the reality of like, this yeah. is how it works. If you're 55, you have a longer expected lifespan and they'll give you less money because it's, more time for that mortgage to go in the opposite, the reverse direction and continue to grow. Whereas if you're older, you know, there's less time for that mortgage to grow. And so they can give you a higher amount. So that's also would be the reason why they max it out at X loan to value. Yeah. Is because with the money that keeps getting added into the amount of money that they owe the bank come the passing of the person who has uh, the reverse mortgage in place, you want to make sure that it hasn't exceeded yeah, the the current value at whatever that time may be. Exactly, and it's um it's it's usually max fifty five percent loan to value, and also it's based off of the youngest out of the applicants, and so a lot of these these old foxes out there they've got younger wives, you know, and uh, not always that direction, but but I do find on average in general women marry older men and vice versa. And it is then based on the the youngest person, and so if the um, if the guy or girl is seventy five and the other person is is sixty five, it's based off of the sixty five year old because there is the right of survivalship, yeah. um, where even if one person passes away, they don't call the loan; they continue to uh, to have it and stay in in effect um, as long as somebody is still in the home. And I think that's in in part of the myth that I, that I'm going to get into a little bit later in the episode. I think that was one of the pieces that um, that our contacts wanted to touch on. So I have a question then: What if the we'll say the oldest person is 80, yeah. and the youngest person is 54? Yeah, mm. no reverse, no reverse mortgage. No reverse Next mortgage. year, your birthday present is we get a reverse mortgage. <laughs> exactly, that's what it yeah. is. And yeah. then it's all based off of that 55 year old and 55 percent loan to value. Because yeah. I believe as age increases the loan-to-value allowed also increases. Yeah. So at 75 years old, maybe you aren't maxed out at 55%, maybe you're at 67% or whatever the actual math is. It would, it would go up even if you're 80 years old. I think it. Go, I think they all cap at about 55% uh, loan-to-value around really? that range. Yeah, it may have changed a little bit, um, but it's around 55% loan-to-value. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So for reverse mortgage basics, there's a few points that we wanted to talk about. Um, one is that the, the payment is optional. So no payments are required as long as one applicant lives in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we touched on that just now, which is very interesting. And especially in a market today where costs are high, uh, income has not kept up. So the ability to make those high payments might come into question. So not only are people looking at reverse mortgages as a potential, you know, solution for accessing equity in a way that we don't have to make payments, but also just the straight fact that they, maybe they switch their mortgage and they don't have to make payments, Yeah. right? So it's not that last line of defense 
that it kind of is known for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a, a legitimate option yeah. these days. Exactly. Do you see do you see many of these in your day-to-day brokering? Yeah, a, a few. So um, there's, a, there's a couple of different uh, circumstances that come up, but I would say that in general, equity lending really hasn't been available or around for quite some time, but this isn't a true equity product. Right, and so we do see that uh, that that eventually people are getting to a stage of their life where they don't want to be making a payment. A lot of people, especially in Vancouver, equity rich and cash poor. Yeah, absolutely, you know, have a home worth three million dollars. It's like okay, well, it's just hard to maintain those those mortgage payments, especially as interest rates are climbing. So we have definitely seen a lot more demand. I think as a as a brokerage, I think we're funding. I think our, our we're up 200 or 300% from where we were a year or two ago. So In reverse mortgages. Yeah, big wow. time. Especially because interest rates have gone up so much. Interesting. Yeah. So limited credit and income requirements, which again, in today's world is like a unicorn. Yeah. Right? Because all the lenders, both A and B, and even private to some degree, they're way more flexible than A's and B's. But income requirements have become extremely stringent. Um, so seeing like that. And then of course, no medical checks. Yeah. Which again... Think of it as like a private lender, right? Where they're interested in the equity of your home. Yeah. And they base it off of the loan to value and they base it off of your age. Yeah. Um, because when you die, they get their money. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a matter of, it's just de-risking the bank. The The shorter the lifespan, the less that that mortgage will grow. And when you look at it and you, you generate the charts to show to a, cu- a customer the reality is that in general, the expectation is that the home will appreciate at a faster rate than the um, than the mortgage will appreciate effectively, and so it's it would appear as though the home will always be growing in value, uh, either more or at least enough to ensure that this, it doesn't get into a negative equity position over the lifespan of of that individual. But it is kind of interesting. It's 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 less risky for the lender yeah. if the person passes away quicker. Absolutely, right? It's just kind of weird. It's kind of the opposite. Like a bank on a you know Scotia or TD is not going to want to you know their customer to pass away because that creates a lot of issues. And then all of a sudden you've you know you've got to pass that property over to the next of kin. Can they qualify for the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera? But on the reverse mortgage side, it's actually in a weird way, a bit of a morbid way, it's actually in a way preferable if the person passes away sooner because they just have less risk. Yeah. I'll touch base. I know this is going to be into the myths and whatnot as well, but when people pass away, that is kind of when lots of the trouble starts. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily for the bank or the person that passed away. I guess he's kind of in the maximum amount of trouble. But um, (laughs) in regards to the kids, yeah, right? Because usually that's what happens is the parents get a reverse mortgage and they don't need you know, Jimmy and Mary's permission to get it. They're not aware that mom and dad got it. It's their equity so they can get it and do with it what they please. Mm -hmm. But when mom or dad passes away and then the estate goes to get settled and then they discover that there's a reverse mortgage on it and as opposed to getting, you know, a million dollars that they planned for, um, they're getting 450,000 because they maxed out at 55% loan to value. Right. Right. And then comes the legality of it. And then comes the, you took advantage of an elderly person, yeah, right? They weren't in their right mind. So I know that that has come up and that was one of the biggest uh, things that I used to come along with is people thought that reverse mortgages were evil because of, you know, the the lender's desire to take advantage of these people. Yeah, totally. And to, to, I mean, to cer- some extent, I'm sure that it happens, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm very sure that it does happen. But uh, I have found that in general, most of the deals that I've done on the reverse mortgages have typically been a family decision. And I think that that's the big trend is that 
families are going to get getting together and and yeah kids often are worried about the equity eroding but also there's a in general there's a trend where a lot of kids are saying mom dad just do what you want with the money yeah. i don't care you know go have fun it's yours. It is theirs. Yeah. yeah. Your mom and dad don't owe you any equity unless yeah. they owe you equity. <laughs> maybe they do. Maybe, maybe they it's do, a, yeah. if it's on written on paper, then yes, they then definitely maybe you can owe get you. a reverse mortgage and pay you back for They're, the money that they borrowed from you. Exactly right. right. <laughs> Less stuff to complain about, and you get your money sooner. Early inheritance. Yeah. Right. I know that's in here too, but that's a huge piece of this: is getting money to your son or your daughter or whoever um, in order to help make their life easier now. Yep. Um, and so, and I've always thought this, so that you can enjoy watching it. Yeah. Right? I would. I have a daughter and I would love to be able to do that and see her take that $100,000, $300,000 that we're able to give early and buy a house or go on a trip or pay for her college or, yep. you know, that kind of thing. I've always thought that was a, that would be a very cool thing to be able to do. Yep. Yep. The proceeds are tax-free. Yep. From uh, from a reverse mortgage. So obviously that is a, a big consideration. Mm-hmm. Is there anything inside that world that uh, that you're familiar with? Oh, I'm going to get into that in a little while. I want to go through the basics and then I've got some tricky tricks. A tricky tricks uh, Is again. that a thing now? I'm just, I keep calling uh, you should, them tricky you tricks. You should tell him if it is though. Yeah. <laughs> tricky tricks coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, so to keep going on then, the penalties are waived at death. Yeah. Which is something that... Uh, you know, obviously, in order to break a mortgage or pay out a mortgage early, as brokers, we're all super familiar with the fact that you're going to be paying that three months interest or IRD or whatever it might be. Um, but with a reverse mortgage, if the people pass away, the penalties are waived. So again, it's one yep. less thing. Yeah, they do have heavier penalties. However, if you break it earlier, um, if it's not either the person passing away or they're going to a home. And so I believe that they're waived completely in general if they if they pass away. And then most lenders, and I think this is where they vary a little bit, but uh, some of these they'll waive half of the penalty if they're going into a home. But one of the things that you have to watch out for is that if you're breaking it in the first year of the term, I think it's it's often up to about 3% of the outstanding balance is the penalty. These things can have pretty large penalties if you break it early. So it's really important to understand that that these are a longer-term solution. This is hopefully the last mortgage that you're giving this person, uh, not a mortgage that you give them before you give them a private or something like that later mm-hmm. on. You know, this is supposed to be the last mortgage that you give them. Perfect. Yep. Um, so again, into the myths of myths and facts of reverse yep. mortgages, um, I have four that I've written down, and we actually covered a couple of them already. Nice. Um, so number one is that the bank owns my home. Um, that is a myth that uh, I'm not sure if we covered it. We've covered a lot already in 14 minutes. <laughs> uh, but the bank does not own your home. Yeah. Right? It's the same type of thing. The bank would own your home as much as a mortgage lender would own your home if you had one. Exactly. Yep. So the bank can force a homeowner to sell or to foreclose. Um, again, this is a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll touch base on that uh, in a little bit. I have a little bit more details on that. Um, upon eventual sale of the home, I or my beneficiaries were owe more than the house is worth. And there has been safeguards. I know at one point this was the case, but it has been fixed. Um, and again, most myths are rooted in uh, fact at some point, and yeah. this is one of them. Um, but there has been steps that are taken to uh, to improve that because that's pretty shady. Yeah. <laughs> so say. basically what uh, what you're saying is that they, they won't go into a negative equity position, meaning that Somebody passes away, and all of a sudden, the kids are like are being told, "Hey, by the way, yeah, your your mom owes fifty more 
thousand dollars on yeah. her mortgage than it is worth, and you owe us fifty grand. That's exactly so. Right. Yeah, there's there's now some stops put into it just to ensure and guarantee that you won't go into a negative equity position. Yes, yeah. great. Exactly yeah. right. And then finally, the reverse mortgages are a lender of last resort, mm-hmm. right? Um, and should not be trusted. Again, the myth rooted in truth. When they first started, they had quite a bad reputation, but lots of stuff has been fixed. Lots yeah. of stuff has been remedied. Um, the public pressure. Mm-hmm. My guess would be one of the big reasons that all this stuff did get fixed up. Yeah. It's because, you know, they put it out there. Whoever was doing it was making a bunch of shady money. People started fighting back and pushing it. And changes were made just like, you know, in every industry, in every lender, in every facet of the world. That first beta testing is probably going to be pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, throughout time, it gets improved. And luckily enough, we're at a state right now where um, it is a legit option. For yep. as not an option of last resort, um, more like an option of need. Yeah. Right. It, it fits some people. It doesn't fit some people. A variable rate fits some people. A fixed rate fits some people. Yep. Right. It's just a matter of making sure that our listeners know how to have the conversations, uh, what points to bring up, mm-hmm. um, and how to make sure that everybody is as informed so that you don't get that call once someone passes away yep. um, with angry Jimmy. Yeah, right? Yeah. Phoning you and yelling at you for for this, that, or the other. Yep. Creative uses, I think, are something that are are super interesting for, for this type of a product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we've touched base on it a little bit with regards to maybe an early inheritance. But that's kind of the first thing that somebody who, you know, is on a standard broker level might think, right? Yeah. Gifted down payment. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. something we see in our everyday world. And that's pretty much the only things that we would think about it. But from your standpoint on, you know, helping maybe people who have um, a higher net worth or that investor type client or a little bit of a different mindset, mm-hmm. what are some ways that reverse mortgages can help those type of clients? Yeah. Well, interestingly, it doesn't even have to be a higher net worth individual for this to to work. But what we're finding is that there is a a large transfer of wealth happening in Canada right now. Real estate values have shot through the roof in the last 40 years. And so all those baby boomers have, have seen, you know, their house go uh, go up three, four, or five times over. Yeah. And now what's happening is there's a transfer of wealth, but a, in many cases that transfer of wealth happens at at death. And so if you're if you're in a situation where you're 70 years old, your kids are wanting to buy their own home. You've got money in RSPs and you've got money into in a pension and all these other things that are generating income for you and you're okay. And you're looking at your home and saying, okay, I've got my home, but I can't afford to borrow against it to gift my kids money because mm-hmm. I don't want a payment. And I don't have any liquid assets I can actually give them because your, your typical individual that bought a home and just worked on paying off their home, they, they probably made a, a choice to pay off their mortgage instead of investing money into liquid assets, right? Sure. And so those that have made that choice now are in a situation where they want to help their kids, but they can't. And they would help their kids once they uh, once they pass and then the kids get the home. But if that parent is 85 when they pass, their kids might be 55. And then, oh, here you go. Finally, you've got a down payment for a home <laughs> at the age of 55 years old. A little late to, to the party, right? So I think what we're finding that is for those individuals, instead of them waiting until the person has passed, an easy way to do that is say, look, you're going to get the money in the home later at some point anyways. Why don't I just do an early inheritance? And I'm going to get a reverse mortgage on my home and then I'll gift you the money. And there's no payments, which is great. 
And yes, it's going to erode the equity in the home that eventually you're going to get the equity in it anyways. But on the flip side, you're gaining equity in your kid's own home. And so really, when you look at it, it gets them into their home. It gets them kind of kickstarted into their life. And I think with how much real estate values have gone up in the last few years, any help that parents can offer their children in this in this circumstance is really, really good. You know, And I think that uh, that transfer of wealth needs to happen. And this is a great way of being able to shift money from people that have you know, houses that are worth a million bucks with no mortgage on it and shifting that wealth into the kids' hands before they pass. Yeah, what a cool thing to be able to offer. Yeah, absolutely, right? Uh, and we see this all the time. Sometimes I look at it and it's like, kids are getting a gift of $300,000. It's like, must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That would be really cool. But it is a way of, of just transferring that wealth out and, and, uh, and moving it into the hands of people that need it more at this moment. And it doesn't put the parents into a dire situation where they have to make a payment. Also, we know that sometimes uh, parents would gift money and then the kids are still going to cover if, it, if the parents are pulling that money off of a line of credit, the kids are ca- covering that payment. But now they're basically still borrowing 100% of the property value. And it's really tough for them to make the payment on their mortgage that they got, plus paying back the parents for their line of credit mm-hmm. money too, right? So uh, I think that you're going to see, uh, I, th- I think you'll see these becoming even more common in the future, especially in the in- early inheritance part. And I think that having that conversation with, with individuals and both you know the younger people that are trying to get into the market uh, and also the the parents. I think there's a connection there that people just don't realize that it's possible because people don't even think about refinancing to get give money uh, as a gift to yeah. the kids, right? Secondly, they don't think about the fact there's an option that results in no payments. And I think that when you explain it, I think that it makes a lot of sense. And I'll push it one even further with uh, the qualifying ability. Yeah. Right. When somebody's retired, that same 85-year-old woman is not going to qualify for a Scotia HELOC. Yeah. Right for four hundred thousand dollars for that down payment. So the fact that you don't have to qualify, that there's no medical requirements, um, allows easier access to that equity um, for someone who might not be able to fit the the current requirements for for qualifying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So early inheritance is great. Giving a gift to your kids is great. What about investing in real estate? Yeah, through through this portion. And again, investing is real estate. That's all you. That's all me, baby. So I'm yeah, going yeah. to leave it up to you to explain. But I always thought that was a super interesting piece that, again, people, kind of the everyday people or the everyday broker don't doesn't really consider. Yeah. So here's an interesting concept. Okay. So you could get a reverse mortgage on your home. Usually they don't do it on rental properties, by the way. They will, I think they will inter-aliate over a rental and the residence, but they must tag the residence is my understanding. So if you get a, a reverse on your residence, and then use the proceeds to purchase an investment property, then what you're doing is you're buying a rental property and now you're creating an income for yourself. You're investing because now you have another asset that will appreciate as well on the other side. And on top of that, you don't have any payments on the reverse mortgage. So all of that income being earned by the rental property is going into your jeans. So in in theory here, you could take out a reverse mortgage for $500,000. You could buy a condo worth 500 grand, it might generate 2000 to $2,500 a month in rental income, minus your property taxes, strata fees, et cetera. Maybe it's $2,000 a month net in your pocket. You could be generating and creating an, an income for yourself of $2,000 a month just by taking out money out of, your, out of your home and then parking it into this investment. Now, here's a really cool thing. Even though you're not making payments on the reverse mortgage, whenever you borrow money to invest, the interest portion of the payments is tax deductible. 
Awesome. So whenever you borrow money to invest, the interest portion of the payments is tax deductible. Really important key, because what you can do is you're actually on your tax returns, you're writing off the accrued interest against your taxable income. And so even though you're not making a payment on it, you're taking that income that you own the condo, and then you're still accruing interest, which by the way, is accelerating because it's a reverse mortgage. It's, it's exponential. And you're able to offset your income by that in, the interest that's accumulating. So in, in general, you expect and think, okay, I have a payment, but I get to write off the interest portion of it uh, at least, and so it balances things out. But in this very unique case, you're able to generate an income that you don't, uh, they don't have any expense against. Uh, you don't have the, a mortgage payment that you have to think about. And then you're also able to write off the interest cost, which is really, really cool. So I'll preface this and say that you have to talk to an accountant. You'll never give this, or you should never give this advice to, uh, to a customer without getting them to talk to their accountant about it first, just to verify. Maybe these rules change or whatnot. But uh, my understanding is that you do get to write off the interest which is really, really cool. That is cool. So yeah. not only would this person get that $2,000 a month income, um, but we all know property values in the GVA apparently don't ever go down. <laughs> yeah. So when you buy that $500,000 property with cash, now you're getting an income. But also when eventually the holder of the reverse mortgage passes away, that other property is theirs. Yeah. It's paid off. It's going to have gone up in value from five hundred. Maybe it's now six. Maybe it's now seven hundred thousand uh, dollars. And so that is another way that the person who took the reverse mortgage is taking care of the people who they leave behind. Yeah. And if you map it all out, I won't go into this over over the podcast. But if you're to map it out and say, okay, they have a two million dollar home and it's paid off, and they have an income problem or an income challenge, then you could you could allow them to create income for themselves but also have assets that will appreciate over time as well. And the asset appreciation of being able to keep the home worth $2 million and have another condo worth 500000 that asset appreciation should, in theory, offset the fact that they've got a reverse mortgage that's growing and they've created an income for themselves in the meantime. So it's a really cool strategy. And I, on that income side, I do want to sort of bring up an important point about the reverse mortgages because most of them also allow you to not just take a lump sum on the amount, but you can also set it up so it's a combination of a lump sum and a monthly income as well, if you choose to. So if you're just trying to create an income for yourself, you can actually set it up so you can have $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month come out. You obviously have to qualify for that amount. Is this going to grow even faster if you're pulling out a monthly amount out of it? But if you're just trying to create an income for yourself, you can also create um, underneath uh, like income advantage, et cetera, those types of pro- products. Uh, you can actually uh, create an income out of the reverse mortgage. Tax-free income. Yes, it is. Which is a, so almost like a pension yep. in, in some manner, except a pension for the equity that you created yourself. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Very so cool. I wanted to uh, kind of dive into the myths now. Yeah. Um, the myths and facts, again, I've talked with people in the industry um, over the last probably week, week and a half. I've gotten some, some great feedback and some mm-hmm. great points that no matter what the lender is, similarities. Right in regards to the biggest questions they get asked and the reasonings uh, for the the changes that happen. So I just yep. kind of wanted to to read off some of the things because um, they write it and they know it better than I do. Yep. Um, but why do people have so much negativity around this program? Now the USA unregulated lenders messed up the program many years ago, charged super high fees, large upfront fees, loan to values were too high. This created a negative equity situation, and the lenders ended up calling in the mortgages, leaving the retirees on the streets. <sighs> Brutal. This this is that myth rooted in it's rooted in truth, yeah, right? Yeah. Unregulated industry being the key word here. 
But even in the US now, right, that's all been cleaned up. So again, this is us making sure that people know that yes, it happened. Yes, it's a conversation to be had, but it doesn't apply anymore. And hopefully everyone who took part in that mistake um, mm-hmm. has learned from it. We can't speak for the U.S. Yeah, in regards to their policies. But. <laughs> Maybe a little slap on the wrist. You guys really shouldn't have done that. And <laughs> next thing you know, you get hired in another company and do it all over That's again. That's right. The yeah. CEO just quit there, went over here, started <laughs> the same thing again. <laughs> yeah. History have a, has a way of repeating itself. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's very true. Hopefully, yeah. and we all know how regulated the, the mortgage industry is and is now becoming within uh, within Canada. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, we're learning from other people's mistakes um, as well, because even in the mortgage brokering game, not necessarily tied directly to reverse mortgages, learning from someone else's mistakes is much easier than learning from your own. Justin, did you did somebody really smart say that to you one day? I think if you go back to one of the earlier pods, I think I you think know you're what? right. Yeah, you know, maybe episode two or three. Yeah, I, I think, think so. I- it was me. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> now, some reverse mortgage lenders are now offering a no negative equity guarantee on their reverse mortgage products, meaning that they can guarantee that the value of the mortgage will never exceed the value of the home. This is one of those kind of myths that we talked about right at the beginning. And it's super important to know because, as Kyle said, uh, you don't want that bill at the end of your mom's passing saying, yeah. You owe me 50,000 bucks and you get nothing. Yeah. Right? No wonder those people were pissed. Right? No wonder they're mad coming in swinging. Yeah. So what happens if it does? What happens if that is the case? Because we all know, right? Home values go up, home values go down. But what happens um, if the home value does exceed the size of the mortgage? The client is entitled to stay in the home as long as they want. When they pass away, the kids and the estate, they sell the home, they pay back the bank for the price of the home and everything else the bank takes as a loss. So there's really no other way to do it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Either the bank takes the loss or the client takes the loss. Those are the only two parties involved in this. Mm -hmm. So uh, very cool, very good, very reasonable that the bank ends up doing this considering they're the ones that are making X percent of interest off of, you know, the life of that reverse mortgage. Yep. But definitely something that uh, needs to be known. And that's why they're conservative other than loan-to-values, right? They're not going to stretch it and give you a massive loan that uh, that may put them underwater because they're taking the risk. But I think it's the better way of doing it on a consumer level, an individual level, $50,000 is a lot, right? If they lost that. To a bank, it's like, yeah, well, we made, you know, $5 million in all the other deals. And one of the loans went upside down and we lost 50 grand on a big deal. It's a lot easier for a bank to swallow that pill. And the negative PR revolving around that, if if that happened, you'd bet your top dollar I'd be on the news. (laughs) This is what happened. These are the, you know, these are terrible. Yeah. Yeah, so... That's good that they've decided to uh, to make that adjustment. I think it's I think it's the right move. And just to accommodate this, I think that just lowering their risk tolerance and the amount that they're willing to offer is a good thing too. I don't think you should be giving people seven years old massive mortgages. Uh, no, you know? it, regardless payment, no payment, right? Yeah. Exactly. No, I agree. So foreclosures are the next thing that comes up. Um, so they're extremely rare because there's no reason, <laughs> right? Because you don't make any payments plus the no negative equity guarantee. So the bank only requires the homeowner to keep the property taxes up to date, um, the insurance, the strata fees, and kind of, you know, basically just keeping all four walls up. 
Um, so there's, there's, mm. so you can't keep just three walls up. No, you just take, sure. you take, you take one down. They're calling the loan. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so general costs for the reverse mortgages, it's going to be a one-time setup fee. Uh, the people that I talked to, um, it was a one-time setup fee of 1795 bucks. Um, that's going to be charged by the bank to their lawyers and the client only needs to pay for their appraisal plus the lawyer fee on their end as well. So it's similar to a private mortgage where the client is paying the legal fee for both parties that are involved. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of seems like it's going to be the same thing here. Yeah. Um, the fee is not charged on rate renewal. Uh, it's only a one time unless refinancing for more money. So yep. at renewal, you're not going to have to pay that 1795 bucks anymore. Good. Uh, which is great. Again, we're, the whole goal is to keep money in these people's pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like it because there are private lenders out there who do charge astronomical fees at oh, renewal. I know. I know. Right? And where does that money come from? It has to come from their pocket. goes on credit often. You yeah. Know, it's not a good situation. No. And if people are refinancing, whether it's a reverse mortgage, a private lender, an A lender, or a B lender, it's to get more money. Right? Yeah. So the fact that people are trying to peel more money out of people who are trying to get more money to do, you know, hopefully something good or an investment to, into their or their family's futures, I think it's a good step. That they're not going to take, and I hope more more lenders follow that. Yep. Follow that suit. Absolutely. Um, so other ideas, and I, I know I heard you mention it before, but um, interalia, I yep. always thought was a, an interesting an interesting piece. And you did touch on, you know, if you can blanket over primary residences, rental residences, and I read that as long as one of the properties is a primary, yep. that you, that you're able to do that. Yep. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say on the interalia side? No, no. It just it gives you the ability to get more funding. So maybe in that example I used earlier, if it's a $2 million home and a $500,000 condo, um, maybe if the home is only worth a million dollars, then maybe the the age of the applicants wouldn't allow them to get 500000 But if you interalia it over the rental, now there's a little bit more equity and maybe the uh, loan-to-value would, would suit that loan. So it just helps, especially if you're doing that strategy of trying to to get them additional funding or to buy a rental property, or maybe they just own another rental property that uh, that you could have a a uh, reverse mortgage on. So Interesting. Yeah. So the only one thing that I wanted to touch base, as far as the myths and whatnot go, and this isn't really, it falls into the myth side, um, but most of the time, reverse mortgages get compared to, you're either going to get a reverse mortgage or you're going to get a HELOC. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's kind of what we touched on, the fact that there is, you know, with a HELOC, there is still payments. You're going to be paying your interest-only payments. You do still have to qualify. And this is me bringing this up again for all the the one, two, three, four-year brokers or the people who don't have um, as much experience in the reverse mortgage side. We need to know what questions to ask. We need to know how to answer them. So the fact that a reverse mortgage allows for no payments, I think is a huge selling point. The fact that a HELOC has qualification requirements that the qualifier needs to satisfy um, are going to be your two main differentiators in being able to place those mortgages. We all know that you can use pension income to qualify. Uh, so it might fit somebody and it might not fit somebody. But knowing who fits what program better and being able to explain it, I think is a key. So the only other thing that I wanted to bring up is again, I was talking with one of our contacts and he brought up the transfer weight that's coming up. Um, And he brought up the fact that the transfers might actually fit okay on the reverse mortgage side of things, Hmm. which is something that I I haven't talked to you about. um, And I don't even know if it's factual, but it's out there, Mm -hmm. right? And if he's having this, he or she is having this conversation with myself, um, knowing that I'm going to be giving this uh, speech and this information <laughs> out. Um, I have to imagine that they're having it with others as well. Yeah. So again, this is where I saw that RBC 
yep. transfers coming up. So uh, for mortgage renewals in 2024, RBC said that they have 18% of their book renewing. So what does it mean for clients whose payments are going to be increasing so much next year um, that maybe their income doesn't match? Maybe they can't keep up, right? Maybe they need payment relief. While the banks have been great, some of them have offered payment relief. I haven't heard of any of them that say you can just stop making payments, right? (laughs) No payments are okay too, right? Usually it comes with a lessening or an extending amortization or flopping amortization onto the back end of it, right? Those type of things. Um, So a possible solution would be like a, a flexible payment mortgage program through a reverse mortgage lender. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that from your high level broker brain does that does that all make sense like it, is that it does i mean the the i mean we haven't really talked about one of the downsides of course of the reverse mortgage is that just the interest accumulation the interest cost is higher right these mortgages are priced at higher interest rates that's why it's usually the last mortgage you get hmm. because if you can get and you have the ability to service a payment on a mortgage and you can afford it then it's usually better to go that route but a reverse mortgage is often still better than a private lender. It's still still better in many ways than uh, than having to go in a situation where maybe you're trying to make a payment you can't afford anymore because the rates have, have doubled or tripled now that you're renewing, right? So one important key here is that you can still make a payment on the reverse mortgage. So if you're in a situation where, oh, I really can't afford the payments, and even if you stretch out the amortization to 30 years and did this and did that, it's still unaffordable, you could go into a reverse mortgage and just slow down the growth of the reverse going too deep by just being able to make a payment. Yeah. So let's say that the interest cost is $2,000 a month. Well, you could still make 1000 or $1,500 a month. So maybe that's your budget. That's what you can afford. And the mortgage will still grow, but it'll grow much slower than it would have been in, um, in a normal reverse mortgage situation where zero payments were being made. Uh, but these interest rates are higher. You know, they're usually 1% or 2% higher than, than bank rates in, in general. Um, so that's something that you want to consider and think about. I do want to talk on uh, about a line of credit versus a reverse mortgage a little bit, because one of the strategies that I've been using a fair bit lately is Manulife has an interesting product. And there's a, I think if you look at the Manulife and you just look at what rates they have and and what the product is, and you're trying to compare it versus a Scotia Step or a TD Flex line or whatever. It seems on the surface that, okay, well, sure, but the rates are higher or there's a monthly fee and all these these other factors. But if you start to dive into it, it, it kind of fits itself into these weird little buckets where it can be really, really good for specific use cases. A, a good example of this would be somebody does not want to make a payment on their mortgage, but they can qualify and they can afford to make some kind of payment. One of the unique things about their, the Emanulife One is that you can actually capitalize the the payments, the interest cost on top of the loan every single month. So you actually can use the Manulife One like a reverse mortgage if you choose to do so. Uh, You could pull a thousand bucks out every single month and it can keep capitalizing until you reach the limit. And this is where it's different than a reverse mortgage. Reverse mortgages doesn't have a limit. It just keeps going and going and going. But a Manulife One product, uh, you get approved for a $500,000 limit, let's say, and you start off at 200 grand and you don't have to make a payment on it. You can just let the interest continue to accumulate over and over and over again every single month on the Manulife One until you reach that cap. And then you either have to start making payments on it to keep it below that limit or you may have to then switch it over. And so I almost call this in some cases with some of our clients that are entering retirement or um, or are at retirement stages, uh, Manulife both has good net worth programs that rely more on the net worth of the individual and less on their income, which is helpful for those that are retired. And also 
because it's on a um, a mortgage slash home equity line of credit type of product, the interest rate is still cheaper than it is if you're going into a true reverse mortgage. So it's almost like a pre-reverse mortgage product because you go into it and you go into reverse if you want all the way up until you hit your limit. And maybe it takes you five or 10 years to do that. But because you're you're paying less in interest over that time period, less interest is accumulated on that on that loan. And so in theory, if you went into a reverse today, and we're in it for 10 years versus you going to a Manulife One product and stay there for 10 years, the outstanding balance on the M1 would be lower than the outstanding balance on the reverse mortgage. So that's a, a just a little bit of a, of a little trick there to see maybe the client can qualify underneath one of Manulife's uh, net worth programs, for example, like uh, their SBO program or... Um, or their uh, their equity program that goes up to fifty percent loan to value. For Great programs are, if you can yeah, fit. If you can fit, and yeah. if and if you do enough business with uh, with Manulife One, <laughs> which is which is also <laughs> tough, right? But that's a cool cool thing to to consider. And yeah, so I, I do think it's important to understand that you know a, a HELOC product it, it still is less in interest for those that I can either can afford an interest only payment, or if it's with a lender like Manulife, then you can kind of use it like a reverse mortgage, effectively. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good information too. Lots of stuff that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Um, and lots of stuff, even from talking with the people that I have been talking with over the past week and a half just to gather all this information. Yeah. It's amazing that the amount of brokers that don't use their BDMs as you should. Yeah. Right. They don't just want to be there for those live deals. Mm-hmm. Right. They're there to answer your questions. They're there to get you more informed so that, yes, they want more business. <laughs> Right? Well, yeah. don't don't we all though, right? That's like, how they get paid. Yeah. But isn't that why you're listening to this podcast? That's is, right. Are you listening to the podcast because you want to do less deals or no. because you want to do more deals? That's exactly right. right? So use them. We actually, um, we had one of the representatives actually jump onto one of my webinars. So part of my marketing strategy is to do a webinar to our database once a month. And uh, he jumped onto the um, onto our webinar and helped do the webinar with us and, uh, and was able to provide great value. So if you're not feeling comfortable with the your understanding of exactly how these reverse mortgages work, then they're going to help you. Yeah, you know, they'll jump on. They'll jump on. They'll do a webinar with you. They'll do tons of different things to help you uh, generate more business on the reverse mortgage side, which is great. The other thing I really like about it is it's super easy to quote. The number of times I've been on the phone, and I say, "Yeah, okay, I just need a couple of details. So, where, what's your home worth? What's the address? And how old are you?" Boom. I generate a nice quick quote online. It actually gives me charts and graphs of what the home equity projected value looks like versus the projected uh, amount of of, uh, of the outstanding balance on the reverse mortgage. You can send that PDF over to the customer and say, what do you think about this? Would you like to proceed with it? The tools that they provide us are, are great. And so even if you don't understand it or, or fully comprehend it, just it's important to know the use cases. And I think you start from there. Think about the use cases of what problem are you solving and just try to think about it because I think it solves a lot more problems than we give it credit for. And uh, in particular, yes, although the interest rate is higher, I think sometimes mortgage brokers get too caught up on the interest cost. We don't think about what is the true problem that we're trying to solve. And a lot of the time is actually monthly payments. And in many cases, even if the borrower is saying, oh, the interest rate is too high, they're actually telling you the monthly payments are too high. They just don't know how to tell you how else they can get the payment lower because they don't know what options are available to them. Speaking of payments, we never touch base on broker payments Yeah, as far as reverse mortgage goes because we all know we try. Sometimes we work for free, but we try not to work for free. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and reverse mortgages pay extremely well. They do. right? I think it's 200 basis points. 
generally speaking, it depends on the lender, but uh, but some are paying 200 basis points. So yeah, 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 so that's, that's pretty good. Like, especially if you're working in the GVA or the GTA, right, where you're doing a million dollar reverse mortgage. Yeah, right. You're putting twenty thousand bucks in your pocket. Not too shabby. Not too shabby yeah. at all. <laughs> and now onto our favorite piece of this. Oh yeah, oh, which yeah. is ooh, back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> and Kyle's gonna take this one. I'm going to take this one because back in the day, not too long ago, actually, I think it was 2015 or 2016, I actually did a the the largest, and I had the record for the largest reverse mortgage with CHIP, um, which was $2.3 million. Wow. It was crazy. Um, I remember going over to the lady's home and, and, um, and she was in a wheelchair and she could actually barely sign documents. Like her, <laughs> she could literally, and there's one moment when I needed some documentation signed and I drove over to her house and she was in her car and I was kind of like leaning into the car and she's trying to scribble on this piece of paper to sign the last documentation to, to get it done. And uh, what she was trying to do is is do an early inheritance type of uh, arrangement because she owned a home in uh, Shaughnessy area of Vancouver, which for those that know, it's you know $6 million homes, yep. et cetera, in that area. Um, she's trying to pass some of her uh, her wealth down uh, while she was coherent as well. And uh, I know I had the record for a little while. And then I heard that just a couple months later, they started making exceptions to the cap, which was $2.3 million at the time. And they started making exceptions. So I only held the record for just a couple months, which really upset me. Because I'm like, well, why don't you make the exception for me to get a bigger <laughs> one earlier? It's all good. What's even more interesting about the story though, Justin... A couple months later, I found out that the person passed away. Could you believe? Like, just a couple months after I had funded this massive mortgage. <laughs> and there was a moment where I thought, oh, this is awkward. This is really weird. No you kidding. Know? Like, I felt I felt quite awkward. The next thought that p- passed in my mind is, it's gonna are be- they going to claw that money back? It was the same thing I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to yeah. say it, but I know, in my mind, I know, like, did, I know. They come, did they come for that? I know, right? Because that's also like, grand. I already spent it. So, <laughs> which I'm sure most of you would have done the same thing too. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And, and the answer is no, they did not claw back. But, uh, but it was, yeah, an interesting, uh, interesting situation that happened there um, doing that reverse mortgage and, um, and also having somebody pass away just months after issuing it, which is just weird to me. Yeah. So, no, yeah. absolutely. Well, this was an interesting one today. Yeah, of course, eh? Thanks for talking about reverse mortgages, eh? Yeah, yeah. So Justin, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about the book that you wrote, Rockstar Real Estate Investing. Ooh, can't wait. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, for talking about reverse mortgages today, eh? Absolutely. Later, bud. Later, bud. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to sit with us. Hopefully, you're able to take a couple things from today's episode, implement it into your everyday, and improve in the areas you need to. For direct interaction with us, please join the conversation through our Facebook community. Check the link in the show notes and happy brokering.